Good morning, Crosswinds. I'm Ryan Breeze, and today I'll be reading from Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine re- righteous people, persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got to got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it around him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was still in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your father has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you, gave me, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this father of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm going off script. Um, I'm Ken. I'm the pastor here. And uh, there was a lost son that came to me about three years ago. His name was Jason Magafis, who you're going to hear preach today. And we licensed Jason to preach. He's now 
um, the pastor's apprentice here at Crosswinds Church. And we've had this certificate, and it's been a while because I've been dealing with surgery and other things. I wanted to present this to Jason today. And let's give Jason a big hand. He's now licensed to preach. Wondering what was going on when I saw him standing over there. I'm like, oh boy, I really hope he's not going to do what I'm about to introduce because uh, otherwise I'm going to have to go off script as well and then it's going to be a whole to do. And of course, I'm going off script now. All right, here we go. Um, this, this is how Crosswinds does, you know? We're, we're a very unorthodox church, if you can't tell. Um, but that's what makes this place so amazing and so fun to be at. And it just, you really get to feel God's love here and the Holy Spirit move. And I mean, look around because this is exactly what, what Jesus would want. Men and women of all ages, all ethnicities, all walks of life, gathering together to hear his word. So before we actually dive deeper into today's text, let's give the youth a round of applause today. As far as I'm concerned, they really deserve a standing ovation because they have just done an amazing job. Um, And and they get it. That's awesome. Um, So... um, and, and the youth does do a lot here um, every Sunday. Um, the lights are almost always ran by the youth. The words and the production computer are almost always run by the youth um, with some oversight, of course, just in case something goes wrong. But, you know, for the most part, they're doing it by themselves. I mean, they really deserve a lot of credit for what they do every single Sunday, week in and week out. You know, today is just a day for them to do even more than what, you know, they usually do. Um, And they're doing exactly what Jesus wants from every one of us, to answer the call to serve when it comes to us. And it really is a beautiful thing. You know, I watched the girls that were up here, um, being the praise team, having so much fun practicing on Tuesday and then worshiping together with you guys today. Um, And in fact, before practice on Tuesday, we all did a devotional together, right? It was, you know, kind of fun. Um, And then I gave them homework to do. And in fact, I'm going to give you guys the exact same homework, which is going to be to read Luke 15 in the next coming week because if you didn't remember right before we entered into the christmas season pastor ken had just finished up luke 14 and pretty soon tm um we're gonna come back to luke 15 into a deeper dive and today i'm gonna give an overview of it and we're gonna have a amazing time with it. And Pastor Ken was kind enough to let me preach this general overview because Luke 15 is absolutely my favorite chapter of the Bible. Um, You can ask anybody in the Monday night group uh, what I have thought of Luke 15, and they'll tell you I can talk, and I can talk, and I can talk. Um, 
So with that being said, lunch will be served promptly at 12.30 for a 15-minute intermission. And if necessary, Miss Kathy and Miss Cleone will come around at about 4 to gather your dinner orders in case I go long today. Just joking, I promise that this is not my entire sermon. Uh, this is about six or seven different sermons. So we're not going to take longer than we're used to. Um, so why is this my favorite chapter of the Bible, though? You see, in most of the stories of the Bible, when Jesus preaches, you see um, you have three groups of people, sinners, Pharisees, and Jesus' followers listening to him. And in most of these stories, Jesus tells one parable or one sermon to them. And he is able to touch all three groups with that story. He's able to reach their hearts. But Luke 15 is so different. Like Ryan read, you got three different parables here all telling the same basic message, but each one is actually designed to primarily speak to each one of those different groups while still reaching the other two as well. That's why Jesus was such an amazing teacher, not just worthy of the title of rabbi, but the greater title of rabboni. And how he was able to prove in his teachings of parables that he was truly the Messiah. It's going to take humans approximately another 1,600 years before we're able to do anything remotely close to this in the way we're able to talk to each other or write things down. And we're going to need way longer to do it. We're either going to need a whole book to reach that many people or hours long of sermons and messages or plays or whatever to reach that amount of people. And Jesus does it in minutes like that, reaches that many hearts. We're still nowhere close to what God can do. That is what makes him so amazing. And then, of course, there's, you know, the rejoicing that is in this chapter. It's beautiful. And I know that, um, whoop, I'm a little off here. Um, you know, the, the way that, you know, Jesus teaches the rejoicing here can actually be lived day by day. For instance, I know that when me and Annika were able to lead Jasmine to Christ, what was that, about a year ago now? There was so much rejoicing when she accepted Christ. Just like Jesus says, there is so much rejoicing in heaven with the angels. We lived that rejoicing Jesus is able to teach how we are able to live the scriptures. And next week, I'm hoping that by going over this chapter of Luke 15, when we as a congregation come together to baptize some fellow brothers and sisters, 
that as a congregation, we're going to be able to live that rejoicing together as we rejoice over their decision to be baptized into the kingdom of Christ. So let's cut to the heart of the matter. When was the last time any of us thought about who we are? Actually sat down, looked at ourselves, and had a good, truly reflective look at who we are, not just in a general, but also in certain circumstances and when dealing with certain people. You see, it's not too often that we really do this. We just kind of go, I'm a good person, right? Or, you know, I'm not doing so hot. And that's as far as we really get. But you'd be surprised what you would find when you really look to see who you are. Now, to let us all be speaking in the same terms, let's just put ourselves into the categories for now. Are we sinners? Are we Pharisees? Are we followers? The same three categories of which we're seeing in the stories of the Bible. Now, before anybody jumps right to put themselves into the follower category, I want you to just think about those three categories while we talk and while we go through this chapter. Because it's very easy for all of us just to say, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. Of course, I'm a follower. It's easy. And, you know, when I finally decided that this was the message I was going to give, I know that's what I did. I put myself into the category of follower with some moments of being a sinner because, after all, that was the easy answer. I follow Christ, and I've been obedient, but like we all know, we all sin, so sometimes I am a sinner. And then I heard a story of someone who struggled and overcame addiction. But when confronted with someone who struggled with the same addiction, they would not show any mercy towards that person. They were being a Pharisee in that instance, right? But I thought to myself, no, I would never be like that. And then I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about manipulative people. And I was talking about how I was, I was just being open about how before my time with Christ, there was a time where I made a conscious decision to no longer be manipulative. And then before I could filter my own words, the following sentence came out. And I know if I was ever ministering to somebody who was manipulative, that would be very hard for me. And it made me realize, wow, I could very easily be a Pharisee in that situation, couldn't I? While it's not actually happened to myself yet, it made me have a reality check. And it was a very eye-opening circumstance. In Crosswinds, those eye-opening circumstances are why we need to truly reflect on ourselves and figure out, are we being a Pharisee to certain people in certain circumstances while still being a follower in most times? 
and a sinner occasionally? That's the easy answer, of course. Or are we actually being a Pharisee more often than we really think? Are we being a sinner more often than we really think? So let's look at how, yeah, let's look to Luke 15 and see what Jesus says and what he would do. So let's look at the first, just the first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here, the three groups are pretty much identified right off the bat. The sinners are drawing near to Jesus. They are coming very close. And the Pharisees, they're grumbling. Oh, why is this Jesus guy eating and having them come close? Jesus should be like us. He should be casting them aside and being pure and not talking with them because that is what a man of the law should be. But where are the followers? Well, believe it or not, they're in Luke 14 because Jesus was just preaching to them. And now the sinners are drawing near. And the Pharisees had been there the whole time just watching waiting to catch Jesus in these words that he was preaching to his followers. So the followers are actually here. They're just kind of in the background. So why do you think these Pharisees might think that Jesus would get rid of the sinners? In fact, let's even take a look at why Jesus might get rid of each and every one of these groups. Well, the Pharisees were being grumbling and derisive, so let's get rid of them, right? No teacher wants to, you know, have a student that's being, you know, disruptive. Get out of the classroom. Go. These students are here to learn. Get out of here. No, that's not what Jesus does. The sinners, they might ruin Jesus' reputation of, with the Pharisees and the rabbis. No, that's not what Jesus does. Well, the followers, they don't really need to hear these words. They're already following. They're doing what they need to do. They can already go out and do the things. But again, that's not what Jesus does. So what does Jesus actually do? It's right there in verse 3. So he told them this parable. He does not actually leave any group out. He's inclusive. Jesus does not want to cast anybody out of his message. He wants every single person to hear his words. No matter where you're at in life, no matter who you are as a person, Jesus wants to talk to you. Jesus wants to say, will you listen to me? Will you listen and hear my words? And everyone is to hear this story, not just the Pharisees, not just the sinners and the tax collectors, not just the followers. Every single person is to hear. So let's look at the first parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus said this directly after the grumbling of the Pharisees. So we know that this message is targeted right at them. How else would we know this, though? Well, there's a hundred sheep. They have the biggest flock. The followers don't have a flock that big. And the sinners, well, they certainly don't have a flock. They're seeking a shepherd. So... It's definitely meant for them. Secondarily, though, this message is meant for anybody who finds themselves to be a sinner. And then it reaches the followers after that. For you see, the Pharisees, the message they were supposed to be getting out of this is the fact that, yeah, you do have a large group. And you're tending to your 99 really well. In fact, you're tending to your hundred really well. But any time one of those goes lost, you're not doing the right thing. You shouldn't be saying, whoop, one of them's gone, I guess that's it. Let's stay with the 99. They're good. They're going to stay safe. They're going to stay with the herd. What you should be doing is going and finding that one lost sheep. Because sheep, unfortunately, are not a smart animal. When they get lost, they don't just stand there and go, okay, let me look around, see if I can find my herd. They continue to run in the opposite direction, no matter how far it may lead them away from the herd. In fact, they will run into a raging river and go downstream and off a cliff. (sighs) And that is just what will happen. That is why shepherds have crooks and, you know, they needed to pull the sheep out of the water sometimes. So that's what they're supposed to be doing. But they weren't doing that. Now the sinners, they are the lost sheep. So what do they get out of this message? Well, just like for anybody who finds themselves associating as a sinner today, I have a great message for you. God is the shepherd and he is searching for you right now. He's not out there tending to the 99. He's trying to find you. You're running the opposite way, but he's looking for you. He's not necessarily just sitting there waiting for you to come back he's actively trying to pursue and to reach you and to save you from any danger that may be coming even if you don't even realize it because that's the kind of father that he is that's the kind of shepherd he is that he would make sure 
to leave the 99 that he knows are safe to come find you, the one that is lost. And to the followers, like the rest of us, he knows that eventually they're going to become shepherds. We might disciple other people. And when anybody we're discipling would become lost, guess what? We're supposed to pursue. We're not supposed to leave them. Chase, that's the message for the followers. But then Jesus continues. He gives another parable. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, here our parable targets mostly our followers. Then the Pharisees. Then, finally, our sinners. Our followers, well, of course, they're not going to have the hundred sheep or hundred disciples or hundred whatever. They may have ten. Ten people that they are discipling to, that they're intimate with, with their walk with God. And they're going to have neighbors, other followers that are helping, right? Just like us. Look around. To your left and to your right, you'll see other neighbors, other followers that we are rejoicing with when another person comes to Christ or when we're having a hard time, when we're actively seeking somebody, when we're in a rough spot and need a helping hand. These are the people that we turn to and go, hey, I need help. And they help us because just like a good family, our neighbors in our church help out. And of course, there's a little more activeness. You know, these followers, they're not just having to go out and search. This woman lights a lamp. She sweeps the floor. She does a lot more for this person because the intimacy of this relationship is a lot more. There's a discipleship going on. A Pharisee was a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's probably doing what I'm doing now in front of a large crowd. It's going to be a lot harder for them to have that direct intimacy all the time. Obviously, it was still there. I mean, how many of you can't say you've called Pastor Ken, you know, in a moment of crisis and gone, hey, Pastor Ken, I need to talk. You know, we've, I'm sure many of us have done it. But it would also be very awkward if I was to go, ZNA, I'm talking to you and only to you right now, and I'm going to ignore everybody else, okay? For the rest of this message, okay? How awkward would it be for the rest of us? 
right? That would be very hard. So now the Pharisees, again, it was that message of you're not bothering to look for that person and you need to be doing these things. And of course, why doesn't it reach the sinners as much as the others? Well, probably because nobody wants to think of themselves as just a, an object. We want to think of ourselves as a living being. <laughs> and it's easier to think of ourselves as a sheep than it is for us to think of ourselves as a coin. <laughs> but the nice part is the beauty of rejoicing with our neighbors when we're found. I mean, there's a beauty with it when God rejoices too. Isaiah 62, 5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You see, God is not a passive God. He doesn't sit there and he doesn't wait. He's active. He's joyful. He is out there having a joyous time with you when you are following and when you are coming to him with a repentant heart. And this isn't the only time he does it. In fact, he's even more active when you look at Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So he's not just rejoicing, he's singing. That's why we sing too. Because God is singing back to us when we are singing to him. There is activeness in our Lord. There's nothing quiet about him. He is an active God and he is so beautiful. So then what does he do to reach those who are lost, those who think of themselves as sinners? He tells the last parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your, this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now this story could have been shortened to pretty much this. A man had two sons, one who took his inheritance and left and one who did not. The father looked out day and night for the son who left to return, and when he saw his son in the distance, he ran to the son and restored him to the family before calling to his servants to kill the fattened calf and to rejoice with him. So too, it is, so too is it in heaven when one sinner repents and returns to the father. But Jesus did not do that, did he? He gave a very long story, very detailed. Why? Because the story here is for the sinner, for those who feel like they are lost. And then it's secondarily for the Pharisee and the follower. You see, those of us who feel like we're lost, like we're sinners, we need a longer story. Jesus once said, for those who have ears, let them hear. And those who have eyes, let them see. But for those who are lost, I myself was lost once. Like Pastor Ken said, three years ago I came to him, and boy was I lost. And my ears before that day were very closed. I would not have understood Jesus' parables if they were that short. I would have been like, what are you talking about? But if I heard a story like the prodigal son when my ears were closed, I would have heard it, and I would have understood it. That's why Jesus tells such a long story. That's why he doesn't shorten it. That is what makes him such an amazing teacher. For you son, see, the son comes back to the father and not to anything else. The son doesn't come back to the father's house. The son doesn't come back to his fields and not to any of the father's riches. The son says, I will go to my father and say, I have sinned before you. 
he returns to a relationship with his father. And even if the son didn't expect that relationship to be a good one, he said, make me a servant. Don't make me a son, make me a servant. He knew what that meant. He knew that, yes, he would be kind of part of the family, but he could be kicked out at a moment's notice. But at least he'd have a good life. He'd be fed. He didn't expect the father to do any of what, anything of what he did. He didn't expect this relationship to be what it was. The theologian Marvin Pate said, the depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. And it's so amazing when you hear that. Because that's exactly what it's all about. Because there's an important line here when it says that the father was moved to compassion. That word, moved to compassion, is used so many times in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it refers to Jesus. Jesus is always moved to compassion. Our Father, our Lord and Christ, is moved to compassion for us because he has a great plan for us. And just like this son, we go away from it. We tell our Father, give us our inheritance. I'm done. I want out. And we go off into this distant country and we leave him. And there we squander everything in our brokenness. Like the younger son or the older brother says, with prostitutes and with wickedness. And it just leads us into more brokenness and more brokenness. And that's all it leads to until we are so broken that we feel like the only food we're deserving of is the food that they're feeding pigs. And let me tell you, that was a food that was so awful because to a Jewish man at that time, pigs were seen as an unclean animal. They would have no they would ha want to have nothing to do with a pig. And yet this Jewish man thought of himself so low that he actually wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. But then he comes to himself. Just like we need to come to ourselves. And we need to repent and go, Lord, I'm sorry. Father, I have, I have sinned before you. And we need to come to our Father in heaven and say, Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry. I believe in what you've done for me. Because when we see that cross, we see something 
that this father did for his son. Forgiveness and repentance and restoration. Because our father in heaven sent his son down from heaven to die on that cross so he could forgive us. And then three days later, to prove that he could do that, to prove that he had the power over life and death, to prove that he had the power to forgive all of our sins, he rose from the dead. And just like the father in this story, he can restore us into the family once again. And we can come back and recover and become part of that family and go back to God's plan so long as we just believe. That's what it's all about. That is what Jesus is trying to tell us time and time again through these stories. Again, the son comes back to the father. And what Marvin Pate said, the depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. Beautiful. And then to the Pharisees and the followers, he tells an epilogue to the story. Because that story could have just ended right at the party, right at the rejoicing. But it doesn't. It goes on a little further. Tells of the, young, the older brother who wasn't happy with the younger brother's return. And to the Pharisees and the followers, he basically said, Jesus basically says, we must be constantly searching for those who are lost. And when they return, we must not be bitter with them. In each of our lives, we have somebody in, that, in our lives who if they were to return to Christ right now and change completely, we'd probably be bitter. And it would hurt. Because we'd be like, really? This person? Yeah, that person. That person can change. And guess what? It's easy for any of us to become bitter when somebody is saved that we may not think deserves it. Because our version of justice is not what Jesus says. And crosswinds, I just want to thank everybody right now for not being bitter when I came back to Christ. Because if anybody had known me before I turned, I'm sure there were some people who probably would have looked at me and went, this guy wants to be a pastor's apprentice? Trust me, there could have been some bitterness. I'm sure of it. But Christ has done an amazing turn in my life. And it's a beautiful thing what grace and repentance can do. And each of these stories, each and every one of them, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son, they end in the same way, rejoicing. 
We are to rejoice with our brothers and our sisters. And that is why I am so thankful that I have been able to rejoice with each and every single one of you every single Sunday when I come here, every single special event that I come here to. And it is just a beautiful thing. And I am, cannot wait for next week when we can rejoice with our brothers and sisters when we baptize those who have chosen to follow Christ. So today, I want us all to really look down deep, to not try to put ourselves into one of these categories, but rather to find where we are doing well as a follower and to hear what Jesus is telling us to do in those areas to live our lives, to find out where in our lives we're being a Pharisee and to strive to do better towards those who are, we are being a Pharisee too. Then lastly, we need to find the areas of in our lives that we're being a sinner and to humbly go before God and to say to him, I have sinned before heaven and in your sight. I am not worthy to be your son or daughter, so please make me a proper follower. I challenge you all to read and to maybe even reread this chapter as we prepare and then go through Luke 15 in a deeper dive. Find out what God is trying to say to you personally. Maybe you'll be convicted to go and do something. Maybe you'll be able to finally let go of a grudge that you didn't know you were holding on to. Or maybe you'll be like me, and you'll lay in your bed as you read it, and you'll be moved to absolute tears in the message that, he, that God gives you. Maybe, just maybe, it'll help you rejoice next week in a bigger and better way. And you'll get a small taste of what the rejoicing will be like when we are all rejoicing with the angels in heaven. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you are such an amazing God. Thank you that you are able to reach the hearts of every single person in this life. Thank you that your message is for everybody and not just one person or one group or one individual over another. Lord, thank you that you are a searching God. Lord, thank you that you are a father to all of us that you care so deeply about each and every one of us, that you know our hearts, that you would want to rejoice over us, that you would want to sing for us, that you would want to be there to just be this amazing Father. Even for those of us who don't have fathers in our lives, we have a Father in you, Lord. Lord, Thank you for everything that you do in my life. Thank you for everything that you do in the lives of everybody here today. Lord, thank you for everything that you do in the lives of everybody in this world. Whether they believe in you or not, Lord, we know that you are working in every single person's life because you are searching for them. Lord, you are an active God and not a passive one. Lord, you are a God who is living in this world and rejoicing. And you are a God who is constantly searching.
searching for a lost son, for a lost sheep, and for a lost coin. Lord, thank you that you have been so blessed. Thank you that you have sent your son down to die for our sins. Thank you that you have forgiven us if we would just turn and believe in you. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. As the worship team sings this final song, I'll be down here. If today you've never given your life to Christ, I would love to pray with you as you say, Lord, I've sinned before you. Lord, I'm sorry. And Lord, I'm ready to become a son in your kingdom again or a daughter in your kingdom.